Thank you. It's good to be here. It's always uh, wonderful to be an example to others. I don't know that it's a good thing, though, when I make other people's wives appreciate their husbands hearing about me, but uh, anyway, it's been good to be with you this morning. Just to clear the air on that, too, the kids were involved heavily in that whole process of trying to get here with as few stops as possible. In fact, they were asking, can we just keep going? And Because uh, they wanted to get here. They, they were ready to get out of the car, but they wanted to be done, you know. So, All right, Luke chapter 22 tonight. I just want to say, I know Pastor Smith already mentioned or talked a little bit about that song uh, by the young people and did a great job. But uh, I want to just specifically speak to those who were singing that and the young people here and, of course, others as well. But um, sometimes we sing songs and, you know, it's just we, we learn the words and we, we learn how the song goes and we sing it. But we don't really let the truth, you know, sink down into our hearts and, and affect us. But I really hope that each of those young people that were singing were, were singing from their heart to the best of their ability anyway and what they know of their lives. I hope each of you will give your life to the Lord now. Uh, You'll have far fewer regrets if you don't wait. And so now's the time. Uh, Luke chapter 22 tonight, if you're there, if you'd stand with me for the reading of the scripture, Luke 22. Jesus here has been uh, speaking to his disciples and and warning them, letting them know that there's coming a day that he's going to be going to the cross. And, and uh, in fact, this, he is, this is the night before he goes to the cross. And he's telling them of some of the things that's go, that are going to happen and transpire in this night. And he, when we come to verse 31, which is where we're going to pick this up tonight, he turns from his disciples as a group and he begins speaking specifically to one of them, Simon Peter, uh, many of us are, of course, familiar with Peter and his, uh, just his relationship with the Lord. He was certainly one of the three uh, apostles that was closest to the Lord. And uh, certainly in his own mind, he was probably closer than any of the others. Just some of the things that we read of him. But the Lord here says to him, beginning in verse 31, the Lord said... Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And he said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. And he said, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before that thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. I want you to pay special attention to those words in verse 32 where Jesus said, But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Let's pray. Father, I pray that as we dig into your word tonight and consider this subject of being converted, that you would help us to search our hearts and even more so that we would allow your Holy Spirit to search our hearts and reveal to us, Lord, 
areas where we might have some blind spots and not understanding all of our needs. Certainly here Peter was missing uh, a, a major problem, a major flaw in his, in his strength and his character. And uh, Lord, I pray that tonight as we look into your word that we would be honest before you and allow you to, to tell us and show us maybe some areas that we need to be more dependent upon you and trusting you to keep us from falling and from failing. So help us, Lord, tonight in your word. Strengthen us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. When thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. The word converted is an, an interesting word. It means to change, to be transformed from one thing into another. Uh, most often in Scripture, when we, when we look at the subject of, of being converted, it's in reference to salvation, but the word itself simply means to be changed. We may not use it all that often in reference to other things, but uh, because it certainly does mean to be changed, maybe some of you are mechanically inclined and you uh, tinker with different things, and I don't know how many of you have ever been working on something that's kind of old, and you're trying to make it work, and, and none of the parts that they make for, for it today fit the old version. And so you have to look for some type of a conversion kit to change it from one system to another. You know, you're converting it. You're changing it. Or sometimes we use the, the term convert, uh, talking about things like currency. You know, to, uh, when, when you're going from, from this country to another country, they use a different currency and you have to convert in your mind or maybe with a tool or a calculator how much you know the U.S. dollar is worth in that country. You have to convert that. Or uh, The worst, I think, is the metric system. Uh, I'm an American through and through and I don't understand you know centimeters and millimeters and liters and all that stuff, right? Give me inches and feet and gallons, all right? I get that stuff. Amen. But when some communist, I mean foreigner, uh, starts talking in terms of, you know, the metric system. I'm thankful that in this day and age I have a smartphone. On my smartphone I have a calculator. And within that calculator I have a unit converter that helps me to change from one system of measurement to another. The word convert or converted means to be changed. And by the way, most of the time when you read in the Bible about being converted, it is talking about salvation because salvation always involves a change, doesn't it? When a person is born again and receives Christ as their Savior, there's a change that takes place in their life. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. When I got saved, I got converted, and so did you. And if there was no conversion, there was no salvation. That's just the reality. If you get saved, God changes your life. And so we often talk about conversion in, the, in regard to salvation. But apparently here, in this passage, as Jesus is talking to Peter, who is one of his disciples, one of the twelve apostles, uh, this must not be in reference to salvation because Peter was already saved. He was already an apostle. He was already being used of the Lord. But Jesus was speaking of a change that was necessary to take place in his life. And we're going to talk tonight a little bit about that, uh, that change that takes place. But I want you to notice, first of all, that Jesus begins to talk to him 
about an area of trouble in his life, an area of a, a problem area in his life that he himself could not see. In verse number 31, it says, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. Now what Jesus is saying here is something that probably should not have been news to Peter. That, say, that he had an enemy that is out to get him. In fact, that same enemy that was out to get Peter is out to get you and me today. Verse Peter 5, Peter later would write, Be sober, be vigilant. Why? Because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. There is an enemy that is seeking your destruction. Now, if you are saved, if you're a child of God, he can never have your salvation. He can't cause you to, to lose that salvation. If you've been saved, the Bible says you're kept by the power of God. Jesus said his sheep, he said, I, I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Satan cannot have your soul if you're a child of God. But most of us here probably know a great many people who even though they may be saved, have been, their life has been shipwrecked because of sin and failure and, and, and whatever the case might be. We, we've seen people who have been, maybe we could say, as Jesus said here, sifted. Notice the, the language that Jesus uses here in verse 31. He says, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. One of the things that I love about the King James Bible is that it is very specific in the way that it's translated. And when it's speaking of the second person, in other words, you, it, it uses two different words to distinguish whether we're talking about plural you or singular you. If I'm talking to one person in English today, it, it may not sound a lot different than if I'm talking to two or three. Because I might say you. I'm not a southerner. So I say you. I don't say y'all. Some of you probably say y'all. But when you get in the deep south, there's, there's really three forms. It's you, y'all, and all y'all. Right? But, but really you, is in, in English today, proper English, you works for singular or plural. But the King James translators were careful to use... You, only in the plural sense, and in the singular sense, they would always use thee or thou. Why? Because now when we read the English Bible, we know specifically who Jesus was talking to or about. And so when he says, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat, again, he wasn't talking in a singular sense, Peter, Satan specifically is only looking to get you. He's saying all of you. The apostles, all believers, all Christians, this message is a general message for all believers. There is an enemy that is out there looking to cause destruction in your life. Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. And that applies to you and to me today. But then notice what he says in verse number 32. But I have prayed for thee. So Peter, you need to understand that even though in a very general sense, and this includes you specifically, but Satan is out to get you. But I want you to know personally, specifically, I have prayed for thee. 
Isn't it wonderful to know that our Savior is praying for us? Not just in a general sense, but I believe by name. He ever liveth to make intercession for us, the Bible says. I'm glad to know that Jesus prays for me by name to the, to the Heavenly Father. And he says to Peter, listen, I, I, I prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. There is a change that needs to take place, is going to take place in your life, when thou art converted. Now even though Jesus is telling Peter this, and he seems to understand that what Jesus is telling him is that he is about to fall and he's about to fail. Because he says in verse 33, Lord, I am ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. In other words, Peter has picked up on the fact that Jesus is saying this fall, this failure is going to take place soon. And Peter says, no, Lord, you don't, you don't understand. <laughs> I'm ready to go with thee into prison and to death. Those words, I am ready, I, to me they're so interesting because here Peter is talking to the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, Peter is literally telling God that he knows more about himself than God knows about him. Jesus, I know you might think, you know, Everyone else might forsake you, he said in another place, but not me. You might think, Lord, that I'm not ready to face what we're going to face tonight, but I want you to know, I've got your back. I'm here with you. I won't let you down. Peter was guilty at times of telling God things that just didn't make sense. He said, I, I am ready. Lord, I am ready. There was a time over in the book of Acts, if you might remember, I believe it's chapter 9, where, where uh, the Lord tells him to, to rise, kill and eat all manner of animals. And, and, and do you remember what he said? Not so, Lord. <laughs> Some of the most contradictory words in the English language. Not so, Lord. Who's Lord? But sometimes we, we think that we know better than God, just honestly. And I believe Peter thought that. Jesus thinks I'm not ready, but I am ready to face the difficulty and the challenges that are awaiting ahead. But obviously, Jesus knew more about Peter than Peter knew about himself. And by the way, God knows more about you and more about me than we know about ourselves as well. Sometimes we become overconfident in our abilities and our own strengths. Peter had a self-awareness, at least he thought he did, about his spiritual condition. He thought he was here when God knew he was down here. Now most of us probably have some idea in our own minds tonight of where we think we are spiritually and the things that we're ready for and the reality just might be that God sees things a little differently than we do. In fact, hold your place here. Go with me, if you would, please, to the book of Psalms and Psalm 139. Psalm 139, the psalmist here writes this psalm as a prayer to the Lord. 
And he says in Psalm 139, in verse number 1, O Lord, Thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my downsitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compassest my path and my lying down and art acquainted with all my ways. For, thou, for there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. What is he saying here? Lord, you know everything about me. Quite honestly, you know more about me than I know about myself. There's not a word in my tongue but thou knowest it all together. That word in your tongue, that would be something before it's spoken. How many of you have ever said something, but it didn't quite come out the way you intended it? But God knew you were going to say it before you said it. So in other words, God, you know everything about me. You know everything I know about me, and you know more than what I know about myself. And then as we look down just a little bit here and. Uh, let's go down to verse number 17. He says, How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with thee. Isn't it wonderful to know that not only does God know about us, but God thinks about us? God thinks about you more than you think about you. And for a lot of us, that's an awful lot. More, more in number than the, than the grain of sands are his, his thoughts toward us. Jesus said the very hairs of our head are all numbered. How could we possibly think that we know more about ourselves than God does? Our heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And then the Bible asks the question, who can know it? In other words, you can't know your own heart. You might think you do. But notice here, with all of this understanding that, that David is writing this psalm, uh, it's obviously the Holy Spirit that's giving him these words to say, but with that understanding of all that God knows about him, here is his response. Verse 23, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. In other words, God, you know so much about me that I, I'm going to have to ask you to tell me what you see in me. Part of Peter's problem was that he was very confident, overly confident, in his own strengths, in his own abilities, but he didn't realize that what he really needed was for God to tell him where he was at. Jesus was trying to warn him of a failure that was coming down the road, and he brushed it off and wrote it off because he thought he wasn't susceptible to failure. The Bible tells us in the book of 1 Corinthians, it says, Let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. Just about the time that we feel that we're strong is about the time we need to be careful. Because that's when we're most susceptible to Satan's attacks 
and failures, and our own failures. Peter, as we know, was about to deny that he even knew the Lord. I mean, think about that. In one moment, he says he's willing to go to prison and even to die for his Savior. And just a number of hours later, denies that he even knows him. Out of fear, he gets even angry and begins to curse and to swear that he doesn't know the Lord. I I don't believe Peter saw that coming. He didn't think it was possible. Now, folks, I just want to ask the question tonight, what is it? What failures, what sin could it be that's lurking around the corner somewhere that, that, that Satan is going to use to try and cause us to fail. We don't even see it coming. We don't even think it's possible. I would never do that. By the way, I try not to say I would never do this or that. Because sometimes we say I would never, and the idea is, trust me, I've got this under control. I, I want you to know tonight that standing before you is... A man who is a sinner saved by the grace of God. And apart from the grace of God, there is probably no depth to the depravity of what's standing before you today. We don't like to admit that. But it's just a reality, folks. We need to be self-aware enough to know that we're not very self-aware. And we need the Lord to search us and... And, and to reveal to us areas, blind spots, areas of potential uh, uh, struggle, and allow him to protect us and guard us. Had Peter heeded the Lord here, maybe he would not have made such a, a mess of his life. But because he was overconfident and felt strong in himself, Peter failed the Lord. Look at verse number 54 here in Luke 22. It says, Then they took him and led him and brought him into the high priest's house, and Peter followed afar off. When they had kindled the fire in the midst of the hall and were set down together, Peter sat down among them. But a certain maid beheld him as he sat by the fire and earnestly looked upon him and said, This man was also with him, and he denied him, saying, Woman, I know him not. And after a little while, another saw him and said, Thou art also of them. And Peter said, Man, I am not. And about the space of one hour after, another confidently affirmed, saying, Of a truth, this fellow was also, or also was with him, for he is a Galilean. And Peter said, Man, I know not what thou sayest. And immediately, while he yet spake, the cock crew. Then look at verse number 61. These should be some sobering words for us. And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. Imagine denying that you know Christ, not once, not twice, but three times, and then for him, in the middle of his trial, as he's being betrayed, that mockery of of a trial as they falsely accused Jesus of blasphemy, crucified him contrary to the law, 
in that time of, of all of that going on, everything Jesus is facing, now he has to turn and look in the face of his most loyal apostle. And essentially, without saying a word, his eyes said, I told you, you would betray me too. Imagine what that must have been like for Peter. His self-image, his pride, as Jesus looked on him, and then the response, of course, is, and Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And then verse 62, And Peter went out and wept bitterly. He was a broken man. His reputation would always have a little bit of an asterisk next to it. There's always a caveat with his name. Peter, that great apostle, oh, but don't forget, he also denied the Lord. And when Peter realized what he had done, he went out and he wept. He didn't just weep, he wept bitterly. But I want to say to you tonight that I believe that this moment though it was probably the lowest moment of Peter's saved life, was also probably one of the most important moments of his life. Because in this moment, Peter was in a place where he could be converted. A place where he could be changed. You see, Peter was very confident in himself, that impetuous man who always thought that he knew best. He always thought that he was the strongest, and now he's realized that he really is nothing. But at this point, God can finally use Peter. I believe that oftentimes God has to bring us to a point of brokenness before we really truly can be used by him in the way that he wants to use us. I think of some great men in the Bible who were very confident in themselves. Think of Samson. Back in the book of Judges. Samson, what a strong man he was. How greatly he affected. I mean, his life made a difference in Israel, didn't it? I mean, they had, they had victory over the Philistines as long as Samson was alive. I mean, he made a mockery of the Philistines in his life. Oh yeah, until he didn't. And his downfall became a woman? He was confident in, his, in himself. Delilah had shaved off the locks of his hairs, and you probably remember... His answer to her, I will go out and shake myself as at other times. I've done it before. They've never gotten to me before. And they're not going to get to me this time. Until they did. He found himself with his eyes plucked out, grinding at the mill 
being used as a trophy to the false gods of the Philistines. Wow. All because he was overconfident in himself rather than dependent upon the Lord. I think of even Moses, that man who, you know, God had said that he was going to raise someone up to lead the Israelites out of Egypt after 400 years. And right about that time, a man by the name of Moses was born. And by God's miraculous intervention, here you have a Jewish son uh, uh, that, that, that is, is born into a, a Jewish family, but raised in Pharaoh's household and, and learned in all the ways of the Egyptians. He was intelligent, he was educated, he was a Jew, but he had an in with the Egyptians. He was essentially Pharaoh's grandson. What better man to lead Israel out of Egypt? And at about 40 years old, according to Acts chapter 7, it came into his heart to visit his brethren. And I ask you, who put that in his heart? It had to have been the Lord. And so he goes out to visit his brethren, and as he's there, he sees an Egyptian that's smiting a Hebrew. And he thinks, this is my chance, this is my opportunity. And he rises up and he kills that Egyptian. And the Bible says, for he supposed how that his brethren would have understood. <laughs> in other words, he just assumed in his mind, what better man is there than me? I am in the place to do this, to lead Israel out. But you know what happened. He had to flee for his life and he spent the next 40 years wandering in the wilderness, leading a flock of sheep. Hardly any human interaction from what I can see that by the end of that 40 years, now he's 80 years old and the Lord comes to him in the burning bush and he says to him, hey, I want you to go back into Egypt and lead my people out. Do you remember what Moses said? I can't. You've got the wrong guy. He had developed a stutter apparently in that time. He said he was of a stammering tongue. I, I, I can't. They're not going to believe me and and who's going to go with me? And Lord, you've got the wrong guy. Maybe all those years ago, but not today. But you realize that God's timing is always perfect. God wasn't ready to use him when he was 40 years old and strong. But when he was 80 years old and felt that he was incapable, now God said, you're in a place that I can use you. I believe Moses had been converted. Something changed. It's been said before that Moses spent the, the first 40 years of his life learning how to be somebody. He spent the next 40 years of his life learning that he was a nobody. But he spent the last 40 years of his life learning that God can use anybody. And the truth is that the reason that God put him into the wilderness for 40 years before he chose to use him was because he had to work some of Moses out of Moses. And I think he had to work some of Peter out of Peter. He had to let him fall. He had to let him fail so that he could see his own inability and his need for God. And he was converted. 
Now, if you'll go forward with me a few pages or to the next book, really, John chapter 21, we find that though Peter had been overconfident in his own abilities, now, because of his failure, he's decided he's no longer worthy to be used of God, and he's given up on serving God. John 21 and verse number 3 Simon Peter saith unto them, this is to the other disciples, I go a fishing. Some of you, this might be your life verse, I don't know. But this wasn't a statement, you know, today's a nice day and I'm going to take the bass boat out and spend a few hours on the lake. The statement, I go a fishing, was a statement that said, I, I, had, you know, I gave up my fishing business to serve the Lord, but I'm going back to fishing. I'm not... I'm not the one that God can use anymore. So I'm just going to go back to being a fisherman. And notice what happened. They say unto him, we also go with thee. He was now taking people with him. <laughs> but if you look down to verse number 15, it says, So when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, Thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. You know what happens here. This happens three times. And Jesus told him to feed his sheep, to feed his lambs. In other words, Peter, you've denied me three times. Now I'm going to give you an opportunity to acknowledge that you love me three times. And in this opportunity, I want you to remember that I am not done with you. In other words, go back in your mind. You remember there in Luke 22, that night that I told you that you were going to deny me, that Satan desired to have you, that he might sift you as wheat? I said, oh yeah, when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. I still have a job for you to do. Once you've learned that you don't have the ability in yourself, once you've learned that you're not as great as you think you are, just remember, I'm not done with you. I still have something for you to do. So tonight I want to maybe ask this question in this way. Have you been converted? Now obviously the first part of that and the first aspect of that is have you been saved? Have you been spiritually converted? Have you turned to Christ in salvation and allowed him to save you and to change you? If, you, if you've been saved, there's been a change that's taken place in your life. Have you been converted? But then even after that spiritual conversion and, conversion and salvation, have you come yet to the point of understanding just how much you need Him? Or are you still kind of trying to do things in your own strength and your own power? Are you still confident in your own abilities to be faithful to the Lord? If you are, if you are here tonight and you're trusting in yourself and you say, you know... Overall, I think I'm doing pretty good. I'm pretty strong. There's not much that's going to shake me. There's not much that's going to move me. Tonight, friend, I just want to say not to discourage you, but from a heart of love and concern for you, please watch out. Let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. But maybe you're here tonight and you're on the other side of that and maybe you've had some failures in your life. Maybe there have been some, some sins there, some, some moral failures or, 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 or some other issue where you've gotten away from the Lord. 
And you're sitting in this place and you're kind of wallowing in it like Moses who said, Lord, you're going to have to use someone else because you can't use me. Or Peter who said, I'm going back to fishing because I've proven that I am unworthy. I just want you to know tonight that God's not done with you. How do I know that? Because you're still breathing. You're still here. And if God was done with you, you wouldn't be here. There is still something that he has for each of us, but it's important for us to understand that day by day and moment by moment, we need him. We need the grace of God. Because if it's not for the grace of God in our lives, folks, we we are prone to messing things up. (laughs) Getting ahead of God like Moses did, failing the Lord like Peter did. But in his strength, And by His Spirit, God wants to use us. But we must be converted in our thinking and allow Him to show us and and to remind us, I need the Lord. I need His help. I need His strength. I need Him to keep me where I need to be. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to say thank you once again for your word. Thank you, Lord, that even when we fail, you still continue to want to use us, Lord. You showed Jeremiah, the prophet, that when the vessel is marred in the hand of the potter, that you're able to make it again another vessel. But Lord, also would you help us not to live our lives dependent on our own wisdom, our own strength and our abilities, but may we humbly before you acknowledge our need for you and dependence upon you. Lord, if there are some here tonight that are maybe still trusting in themselves, I pray that tonight they would be converted and begin trusting in you. Lord, if there be some that have come to that point of failure, Lord, don't let them wallow in that, but pick them up, strengthen them, and show them that you can still work and you can still use them. Bless in this invitation time, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. With your